creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. When I was first starting out, all I wanted as an illustrator, as a creator, was a style. A style that was as full of life as my hero's styles were. But everything I tried either felt too random or too derivative. Nothing felt as authentic and lively and pulsing as the work and the styles of my creative heroes. How did they come up with these signature styles? How did they develop such an incredible, authentic uh, look? No one in the industry at the time when I was starting out was really talking about how the sausage was made, so to speak, how you start to develop something that looks like you. So as I learned and made strides developing my own style, I try to take note of like, how is this happening? I try to be observant uh, of my own creative process and how it all came together. And that's what this episode is all about. If you've ever wanted to have your own creative style, regardless of what medium you're working in, this episode is for you. But before we do that, a quick word from our very lovely sponsors. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support.
Chapter one, style is dead. The first step for me uh, in progress, finding my own kind of signature style within my work was realizing that style isn't as important or miraculous or otherworldly as I thought it once was. For me, the first step was downgrading what I thought style even was. Because when you see style for what it is, it actually becomes, uh, you know, less mythical and more attainable. So what is style? I don't think it's part of your, I don't think it's the part of your work that's alive. I think it's the dead stuff (laughs) in your work. And no, I'm not like a fashion guru being like, Cool is out, uncool is in, long live unstyle, style's dead. I'm not, I'm not, just, I'm not like a Mugatu. Are you not aware that I get farty and bloated with a foamy latte? My mistake, Jacobim. Your mistake indeed. But I'm just saying that when you realize that style isn't this transcendent thing that only a few stumble upon, and it's just something that enables your best work. It's not the transcendent, it's not the best of your work. It just enables, it's just an environment for your best work to happen. You'll find it easier to attain it. So let me explain what I mean by that. So when I was starting out, all I wanted was to find my style, like I said, and looking back, it it makes a lot of sense why I was so obsessed with style because all the most creative things I encountered were made by someone who had such a clear sense of their style. It was such an obvious pattern. For me, it, w- it was people like Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets. Like there's, It's such a signature voice and style pulsing through everything Jim Henson made. Uh, Tova Jansen, the creator of Moomin. Hayao Miyazaki, creators of films like Totoro and Spirited Away. Uh, the thing that all of these creators had in common that, as far as I could tell, was they had this distinct, clear, and recognizable style. This style just had to be the source of the life that was pumping through every single thing that they made. So, of course, style was had to be where these new things were coming from, and I wanted to find that same kind of signature style. But as I went along in my creative journey and made progress in developing my own style, I started to realize that this wasn't maybe what was actually happening. By the time I started to make some progress and had kind of my own look as in the stuff I was making, it started to feel hollow. Like style on its own just kind of felt empty. At first, I was tempted to kind of jump to the conclusion that I think a lot of creators later in their practice adopt, which is style is nothing, style is meaningless, forget style, Style is, yeah, style's dead. Um, but then why was it that all of my all-time favorites had such a distinct style if it was nothing to do with what was successful about their work? Like, which is it? It doesn't make any sense. How was it that this new, exciting, lively work sprang forth from a dead thing like style? How was it that my creative hero's style seems so seem to so spontaneously generate incredible works of art so consistently. Have you ever heard of that phrase, spontaneous generation? Like, do you remember hearing about that in high school? Uh, it's, 
this archaic theory where life is springing forward from nothing, you know, like maggots originating from rotten meat or mice coming from left out bits of bread and cheese. Like if you had uh, some old bread and cheese and you wrapped it up and you accidentally left it in a corner of a room and you opened it up, there would be baby mice in there. And they just were like, clearly mice come from old bread and cheese or clearly maggots come from old raw meat. Like that's where they come from. This theory is called spontaneous generation. And of course, we now know that it's impossible for some rotting cheese to birth a mouse. Um, It seems ridiculous in retrospect, but without what we know now, it kind of makes sense. Like you don't have any mice, leave out some cheese, all of a sudden you have some mice. So you can see why they'd think this new life was coming from this dead thing. But we now know in reality, this wasn't where the things were being born from. This dead thing was not where the new lively stuff was originating from at all. They didn't produce the new thing. They weren't where this life was coming from. They were the ideal circumstances for new things to flourish. These settings took care of everything, made all of the environment just right so that the new things had a perfect atmosphere to begin, to have a a great start. And I think the same is true for style. In my experience, style isn't what's alive in your work, it's what's dead. My favorite style quote that I've ever heard is from Alfred Hitchcock, who said, style is just self-plagiarism. It's just copying the lively stuff from the last work that really worked and doing it again. But of course, when you do it again, it's not going to bring that same bit of life, but that's not the point of it. It's literally taking how you shot that last scene in the movie that you made that you love the most and just copying it and setting up all your new scenes like that one. It's reused. It's not new. It's not fresh. It's not alive. But like that bit of cheese or that hunk of rotting meat, it may not be the part that's alive, but it's where the live stuff is able to happen. It's the perfect setting for something new to spring forth. Why? Because I know most people assume style's purpose is to make your work unique or memorable, but I don't think that's what style is about at all. And I think it's one of the places where we go wrong is thinking we need to make this so unique, this thing that just defines our work, but it's not that. I think it's, I think the gift of style and the, right, and, the, and, and the reason it correlates with great work so often is that it creates a setting that is efficient for new things to begin. So this is part three of our four-part Creative Mastery series. Skill was week one. Week two was strategies. This week, we're going to talk about style. The final part, week four, we're going to talk about substance. I now believe that it's substance that was the thing I was encountering in the work of my creative heroes like Henson, Janssen, and Miyazaki. Uh, And if that's true, why do we need an episode on style at all? Because the new pulsing life of a creative thing, that substance, that doesn't come from an artist's style, but style is the perfect setting for that substance to be cultivated. Why? Because style is efficient. 
When I make something new, I don't have to choose from 256 colors. I don't have to explore every color combination. I only have about 25 that I tend to use. Uh, I don't have to decide whether I should, should I make it out of paper? Should I make paper mache? Should it, should it be acrylic? Should it be clay? Because mostly I just draw with a blue pencil and paint markers and I could go on and on in all these different style decisions and sure these choices make my work my own. It gives me kind of a, a look and a feel that's recognizable, but the real power of style in my opinion is that it decides so much of the work for me before I even start so I can focus all my energy and effort on the most important aspect of the piece, which is the substance, which is what is this about? What am I trying to, what am I trying to spring into life? What am I trying to pull from my own life that's fresh? I don't have to think about the 800 decisions that go into one little illustration. I just have to think about the one of what is this? What is it about? And then so many of my other decisions are already decided for me by style. Style isn't the new life of a piece, but it's what makes that new life possible. And the greatest thing about this is that when you see that style isn't some holy grail, signature, transcendent, unique, singular thing in your work, you see that that it's not the secret to your creativity soul, all of a sudden, You don't have to be so precious about it. When you think that style is everything and you start developing a style and see that it's not, you can feel like, I haven't developed a style at all. This isn't anything like what I love about my hero's work. But when you see that it's not everything, just a setting for new things to spring forth, it's easier to develop. It right-sizes the problem of finding your style. And so... The first step for me was just saying that style isn't the life, it's the dead stuff. It's the stuff I'm reusing. It's the fertilizer for the new stuff. Um, It's not where the things are springing forth. Uh, That was a huge realization for me, and um, hopefully it will help style feel more attainable for you. Chapter two, building nothing out of something. I thought since we're going to talk about remixing in this next portion, I would pull the chapter two title from one of my favorite bands, Modest Mouse, one of their albums of the same name, building nothing out of something. Uh, When you try to build your work from total scratch, from nothing, it's kind of like... If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Look, we all call ourselves creators, but I kind of feel sometimes that if we're honest, we're at best remixers. Like you've, you know, that scientific law, the conservation of mass, no matter can be created or destroyed. And maybe you're like, look, I'm here. I'm totally, there's never been anything like me on this planet. My DNA is 100% unique and never, never will be repeated. And you're correct about that. Um, but being a completely one of a kind original thing, really? I don't think so. Uh, you wish, because guess what? Your parents were the originals. You're just the remix of them. Makes me laugh because you got your dad's ears and all. So 
when you try to attempt to create something from nothing, from scratch, true scratch, uh, what happens more often is that you take something, something great, you, your influences, your DNA, that's also a remix, your experiences, and you you take this big something that is all of these pre-existing, living, breathing things, and you make nothing because that is too huge of a challenge. It's literally attempting the impossible. So what do you do? You just give up. When you think that you're coming up with your style has to be coming up with something from nothing, you're actually going to take something, your influences, your passions, your interests, your DNA, and make nothing. To start to make some real progress, I had to reject this idea of style being this singular something that came from nothing. It's kind of like how the idea of spontaneous generation or living things coming from non-living things was eventually rejected. We now know that that is completely impossible. It's not how life works at all. Uh, Something full of life has to come from something full of life, from somewhere. Something doesn't come from nothing. And the same is true with style. Your style doesn't come to life spontaneously out of nothing. That's not how it works. In In the next episode, we're gonna dive deep into how to insert the substance of your lived experience into your work. And that really is key. But before you do that, you gotta get efficient with what you're working on. You need to make some of the decisions before you get to that really tricky work. And that means developing a style. But every style also comes partially from a collection of influences combined with that substance of your lived experience and who you are. Uh, Living, breathing work full of life is often partially a product of the living styles that came before uh, that artist's body of work that inspired that artist's work. One of my favorite takes uh, that really helped me understand this uh, came from documentary filmmaker Kirby Ferguson. Uh, He made this series, this four-part docu-series on Vimeo back in 2010 called Everything is a Remix. It's incredible. Still is incredible today. Well, Kirby is back and he's revisiting this series on YouTube and with longer, more in-depth, updated episodes and I have just been devouring them and I couldn't recommend them more. They so perfectly bring this whole idea to life in a way that destroys your skepticism and destroys your second guessing and imposter syndrome. It just really articulates how the sausage is made of creativity and how styles come together. And it demystifies the whole process, um, simultaneously enhancing the magic of how new things actually come to life. We have links in the show notes to check out the new parts in this series, the new updated version of Everything is a Remix free on YouTube. But I was lucky enough to sit down and have a chat with Kirby Ferguson himself, which was just a dream for me because he's someone who's had a lot of influence on my creative practice and my kind of creative philosophy, if you will. Uh, And I wanted to just share how he thinks new things come about because it's a little three-part system that is deceptively uh, simple because it's so brilliant. So here is a little bit of that conversation with Kirby Ferguson. 
first thing I just want to say was, um, you know, I've been an illustrator since 2008 and, you know, your video series, your original Everything is a Remix series just had a massive impact on me. I think it helped me just in terms of mental health as a creator of like, how do these things work? And, And just watching you deconstruct so many creative heroes and seeing how the sausage gets made just made it so much uh less intimidating as a creator Mm -hmm. so i just thanks for doing that because it really made a difference for me my pleasure what an honor i mean it's uh gratifying to hear because that's what i i think like what i was trying to do with the series was speak to my younger self basically like my probably like teenage self like 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, that sort of age when you're trying to find your way and you're in awe of creators and you're intimidated and you don't get what they're doing, right? Like they're just, they're on a pedestal. You can't imagine how they do it. You don't even aspire to do what they do, really. That's how I felt. And I just didn't get how creative work actually happened. Um, and I wish I just had that simple formula of just like, just copy, transform, combine. That's really all there is to it. So copy is the first one. So just start copying other people's stuff. It's really that simple. And I felt bad about that. You know, I felt like that was some sort of, I felt like I was being lame or derivative or whatever. I felt like you're supposed to somehow skip that step and just jump the line, uh, and somehow be original when you're, you know, a teenager or 20 years old or whatever, you know, like that's a tall order for a young person like that, unless you're just lucky and you have sort of a unique sensibility in what you do. I think that's not the path that most people are going to follow. You're, most people are going to start out derivative and be derivative for a good long time. Could you just give like a brief rundown of those three pieces um, and how people can put them to practice? Sure. I mean, the, the thing, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, it's just a three step process, copy, transform, combine. I came up with it for the original third part of everything as a remix. I was searching for this sort of simple way to explain how creativity works in as few words as possible with as simple concepts as possible that are simple, but not too simple and not too, uh, exact. Um, and copy, transform, combine is what I came up with. So I think of them as stages, but they don't have to be stages. You could certainly, you could start doing combinations before you start doing transformations. That's totally possible. But copying is where everybody starts for sure. You start by learning chords and learning notes or, or learning perspective and learning color theory and just learning to handle uh, your drawing instruments or whatever. Like we, we all start with just copy. Like there's a way that you do it and you got to learn how to do it. Um, so you start with copying. And then I think from there, transformation, I think, can often happen accidentally. You know, you're trying to copy something and you can't quite do it. Uh, and then that can become your style, right? Like your sort of skewed take on, on you're trying to knock something off. You can't quite do it. And that ends up being your style. That's a super common thing that happens. People are trying, doing their best to just copy something and they can't do it. And then that ends up being their hallmark, right? So transformation, I think, yeah. often follows copying. So transformation is just doing your your twist on making something bigger, smaller, faster, slower, whatever, darker, lighter, 
what, whatever the medium is that you're working with, twisting the thing around and, and doing something different with it. And then combine, obviously, is bringing different ideas together. It's, it's, it's a very fundamental create creative act for sure it's it's definitely uh, it's one of the most essential creative acts um so i think like the most powerful way of combining is when you bring things together that people don't see the connection between like that's that's the gold that that that's the thing that is very very hard to find uh very very hard to do and that's another reason why we need copyright is because after you've done it, it's really easy to knock it off. But it's really hard to find those connections. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, copy, transform, and combine are the three, you can, you can think of them as stages, but they're, they're, they're the three elements of creativity is how I referred to them uh, originally. And I think they just give you everything that you need to, to get started. And they've endured over the years. Like I, I've felt no need to, uh, and I'm a super critical person. Like I, I don't fall in love with my own stuff. Like I'm quite willing to, like if I thought it was wrong, I'd do a new version of it, right? But it's still right. It's it still feels right to me. It still works. And it's the most essential. It's the best thing I've done. It's the most essential thing that I've done. And for anybody who doesn't, I think just, you know, anybody who's doing creative work, you should at least watch that part of the video <laughs> so that you get that because it, it really is so empowering. And I think you can leave that video um, with a different way of looking at things, with a different way of practicing your art, whatever it may be. And it can be anything. It can be anything at all. It can be, it doesn't have to be art in a traditional sense. It can be a business. It can be uh, your personal life. It can be a hobby. You know, it can, it can be whatever. Uh, it's just the way to achieving mastery in, in doing things. So I'm very proud of it. Um, I, I think it's powerful and it has stood the test of time. And, you know, I, I still love to spread the gospel of copy transform combined. Chapter three, it's your creative call to adventure the CTA of this episode, how you're going to take this idea and actually put it to work in your work. And chapter three is draw your easy, happy Venn's diagram. No, I didn't accidentally add an S to Venn. I did it on purpose. And if you keep listening, you're going to find out why. I know you're all like, why? What's the S? I'm going to get to that. Just hold on there. Don't get too excited about that. Um, so we, we've reframed it a little bit. Like, how do you actually develop a style? Um, let's dig into it. Okay. If we think of style less as the magic and more of the setting for which the magic is easy to occur, um, we can see it's kind of like Steve Jobs' wardrobe. You've heard this a million times, these great thinkers that finally said, look, I'm not going to spend any of my creative energy or any more of my life deciding what to wear. That's not how I want to express myself. That's not where the life is. And so they go on every day like a cartoon character, like, like Skeeter from Doug with the orangish red shirt with the lightning bolt on it and just wear that every day. Now, probably the most famous modern example that you've heard of is Steve Jobs with that black turtleneck, jeans, and New Balance shoes. Not the flashiest outfit, not the coolest thing that you could wear, but that wasn't the point in the same way that that's not the point of style. It was just one that he wasn't upset about repeating. 
It felt comfy. It fit. It worked. Now, when I was developing my style of illustration, it was tempting to try and build it from those unicorn pieces, those favorite pieces where I'm like, I don't even know how I did this. Like, what is happening here? I want to do that over and over. I want, that's what I want my work to feel like. But that's not really how style is made or it's not how my style was made. It's got to be stuff that you're able to repeat and do over and over again. You have to, therefore, know how you did it and not mind repeating it. And so it might not be the thing that was the hardest to make. It's something that you really like how it turned out. You know how you did it and you'd be happy eating that staple of a hyperfixation meal every day in terms of your creative consumption. That's the Venn diagram. So depending on how large a body of work you have, collect 10 to upwards of even 50 of your favorite pieces. If you're a musician, that could be songs. If you're a filmmaker, it might not be films. It could be scenes even. Um, if you're a writer, it could be blog posts or chapters. Um, illustrators and designers, it's a little more obvious. It's just like individual pieces, but collect all those things that you really love. And you can even include some of those unicorn pieces at this part, at this point, just collect all of your all time favorites that at least have something about them that you really like. And instead of saying like, what's my favorite? And that's going to be the basis of my style. Look at it through a new Vins. Oh, yes. Yes. He's intolerable. Huh? That's short for Venn diagram lens. See what I did there? I took the word lens and and then and I found where they overlapped. Kind of like a lens Venn's Venn diagram. Anyway, <clears throat> look at it through this new Venn's. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying it. Now, don't think what's your fave, but think what is something that I could repeat and would be happy to repeat that's comfy. Draw the two-circle Venn diagram, label the left one easy to repeat, label the right one happy to repeat, then label the overlap, the little section in the middle, your style. That's your style. That's all it is. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. You probably already have all of the raw, dead meat of your style. It just takes a little time doing the combination process. Now, number the pieces you've collected, then go through and list every piece that has something you like, that you know how you made, that you could hypothetically recreate, and put that number in the, the first circle of the easy to repeat. Then go through and list uh, all the numbers of the ones that have things that you would be happy to recreate every day, like your staple meal that you just never get tired of, or, or it's, you know, you're going to get a lot of mileage out of it. At least list all of those on the right, the happy circle, happy circles, kind of, kind of feeling like Bob Ross right now. Then in the middle, put the numbers that appear on both sides. There you go. That's how a Venn diagram works. You're like, okay, that's not tricky. I knew how a Venn diagram worked. Next part is the fun kind of trickier bit. It's now time to see how you can combine the elements of these various pieces into a cohesive style. 
And so you got to kind of take those numbers in the middle, break them down, analyze, deconstruct, like what are those pieces? What are the repeatable aspects and flourishes? And then how can you make some new pieces that combine these things in a cohesive uh, way? Now, some of these pieces might seem contradictory or wildly different, but if you feel in your gut that these are the pieces, don't try to choose between them. Try to combine them. That is really great fodder, really great fertilizer uh, for new life to spur on from. So here's the best part for me. The crazy combinations of these seemingly unrelated pieces are where your signature moves are going to come from. They're why your stuff is going to look like yours and nobody else's. I always tell artists, and if you're a long-time listener of the show, you've probably heard me talk about this, that if you feel stuck at a crossroads between this fork in the road, I guess, between two different choices that you just can't seem to figure out which to choose. Choose both. Smash them together. That's what creativity is, in my opinion. It's the difficult job of doing the uncomfortable thing, of smashing two things that just don't seem like they go together because they don't yet. Lots of you know that I'm a pretty big fan of the band, The 1975. I have a more nuanced opinion. I have a lot of different thoughts about uh, their work, but I've been a fan fan since the very early days of their their music. I once, uh, how I discovered them was I was illustrating a job for this music article. It was like a roundup of brand new bands, and I saw one of their first videos for a song they have called sex. And I was like, man, how in the world did one band combine emo kind of pop punk and Seeger Ross? Like it just doesn't make any sense. How would you know that those two things could even be contained in the same song? And they just released a new record. And I wouldn't say it's my favorite of theirs, but I do really love it. And I think there's some really incredible stuff going on there. What I love most about this record is that unlike their old records that are kind of long and sprawling and full of like instrumentally John Hopkins uh, tangents and acoustic tangents and 80s tangents, This is the first record where instead of saying, should we do the next song acoustic or should we do it 80s pop? Like, should we do um, this one like an instrumental or should we do this one like Sega Ross or like, you know, and, and instead just said yes to all of them all at the same time in each and every song. And then watching them play one of these new songs on late night TV, like seeing the lead singer Maddie with his acoustic guitar while they play this 80s pop song, um, it just felt more like them than I'd ever seen. He seems so comfortable in the chaos of all of these different fragmented pieces, and I think that is your challenge. Like, don't tell me Fraggle Rock and mid-century modern design have nothing in common because they totally do. My work. 
I can, that's what they have in common. Don't tell me Seager Ross and Bright Eyes are incompatible because the 1975 has successfully compatted them. Like, that is your challenge. Find that overlap. Find those pieces that you find easy to recreate elements from and, and happy to recreate elements from, and then just figure out what their connecting points are or force those connections because once you do so, it'll be like the most obvious thing in the world. And that's, I feel like there's a familiarity and a, and a, and a synchronicity and a, I don't know, a, just something really like it's already existed when you put things together in that way, even though it hasn't. It's like these things should always have gone together. And I think that's kind of what you're going for. That, that sense of, ah, this feels so me. How did it not already exist? Anyway, all these ideas were helpful for me doing what seemed like impossible, which was developing my own style. and. If I'm honest, I feel like I'm still on the journey and I'll always be reinventing and adding flourishes and um, copying myself and, and reinventing it again. That's just kind of how it goes. But I hope that it both comforts you, that you don't have to uh, do something that's actually impossible. You don't have to start from true scratch and reinvent the universe. And uh, you can just have some fun. Massive thanks to our patrons at patreon.com. They are the lifeblood of the show. They have been, they helped me to keep making shows even in the beginning when it was just becoming a lot as I was trying to get it off the ground. And uh, some of you have been sponsoring for a long time and we see you, we appreciate you. If you can spare a few bucks per episode, then we could use it we'd really appreciate it there's all kinds of hidden costs to making a show you know paying for the newsletter the hosting all these different things uh, if you can't spare the bucks don't this show exists to help you build a thriving practice um, if you're not in a stage where you can front that forget it we're here for you helping you um, supporting you but if you can kick back a little bit of support we appreciate you we see you thank you patreon backers massive thanks to yoni wolf and the band y for our theme music thanks to connor jones of pending beautiful for editing the show with so much life and joy and happy styleness with it and uh thanks to thanks to um ryan appleton and uh katie chandler and sophie miller aka sophie pizza for all the other assistants in, in all other podcast aspects. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.